You're listening to The Wave, a podcast by the British Virgin Islands' leading newspaper, the BVI Beacon. Welcome, listeners, to the first episode of The Wave, a podcast by the BVI Beacon. I'm excited to welcome you to our first show ever. We're ringing in 2021 by looking back on what happened in 2020 and diving into some of our biggest stories of the year. You'll hear from our reporters on some of the challenges they faced and why they continue to push through despite those challenges. Before we begin, I'm Zareen and I'm the web editor at The Beacon. On our team, we have Dana Kampa, Joey Waldinger, Claire Shevchik, and our editor, Freeman Rogers. Now, for this episode, we're going to start off asking Dana what she thinks her most important story of 2020 was and why. Hi, thanks for having me. So I mostly report on local government issues, but also cover features and other stories. I'd say one of the most important stories I wrote about this year involved BVI Airways. Most of our listeners will likely know that in 2015, government signed on to a $7 million deal to provide direct flights between the BVI and continental U.S., but the deal went south and the airline never got off the ground. I first became interested in the story when the Premier laid a special investigative report about it in the House of Assembly last May. Listeners might remember there was a big back and forth between the Governor and Premier about missing the deadline to lay the report in the House. But what was really interesting was the information in the actual report. The Auditor General leveled some serious allegations about the failed project on everything from conflicts of interest among government and investors to blatant disregard of red flags that came up when the government first signed on. And of course, one of the biggest questions is what happened to the $7.2 million government invested. The follow-up led to both civil and criminal investigations that are still ongoing. We wrote several in-depth reports on the case as it unfolded. Court documents were being filed just about as quickly as I could write about them. Things quieted down recently during these investigations, but it's something we'll want to keep our eye on. It's important that anyone who pays taxes here knows where their money is going. And hopefully we can learn from the mistakes about what led to the airline's failure and avoid those mistakes with future development projects. Just this week we saw what an important factor these projects are playing into the UK's inquiry into corruption in the territory. And the community can count on us at the Beacon to keep up with these issues as they unfold. Dana, thank you so much for sharing a behind-the-scenes look at your story. Here with me we have Joey Waldinger, who's going to talk a little bit about what he covered last year. Hey everyone, this is Joey Waldinger. I cover courts and crime for the BVI Beacon, though I also like to do investigative work and write about the environment. Today, I'm going to talk briefly about a massive cocaine bust on November 6th and its ensuing fallout, which has had a ripple effect on the shifting political dynamic in the territory. This bust was the largest land-based cocaine seizure on UK soil, with police recovering 2.3 tons of the drug that was stuffed into cars and shipping containers. They also say that the haul has an estimated street value of $250 million. Thus far, two Virgin Islands police officers, including one who owned the property where the drugs were found, have been charged in connection to the seizure. Now, I was shocked when Governor Gus Jaspert and Police Commissioner Michael Matthews announced this drug bust, but my interest was especially piqued a couple of weeks later when I realized that it took on international significance. Later that month, United States authorities arrested a man who they alleged um, was a leader of an international drug smuggling group responsible for the confiscated cocaine. And not only that, 
They also allege that this man was provided protection by one of the VI police officers who was arrested in connection to the seizure. And while authorities in the Virgin Islands and abroad uh, continue to investigate November's drug bust, it has had a pretty significant impact on the changing um, political landscape here in the VI. Um, at a, the initial press conference in November, both Mr. Jasper and Mr. Matthews said that this record-breaking drug bust and the fact that a police officer was charged in connection to it points to the possibility of there being widespread corruption in the territory. And more recently, when Mr. Jasper announced the Commission of Inquiry, which will take an extensive look into wide-ranging allegations such as corruption and also political bullying in government, among others, he cited the drug bust as one of the reasons that he decided to take this action, which could have dramatic consequences for the territory. In 2009, the UK opened a similar commission of inquiry into the dealings of the government of the Turks and Caicos, which led the UK to suspend their constitution and assume day-to-day -day operations for three years. Now, because of the covert nature of police's efforts to investigate and rein in the group responsible for bringing these drugs into the territory, they are tight-lipped about details, but as more news comes out, the beacon will be sure to keep you updated. Thank you so much, Joey, for giving us a glimpse at one of the biggest breaking news events that happened last year. Up next, you'll hear from Claire Shapchik. Hi there, this is Claire. I'm the business editor for The Beacon. In last year's special report on financial services, I found that incorporations, which are usually seen as the bellwether for the health of BVI financial services, hit a 20-year low of 26,150 in 2019, falling to about a third of their 2007 peak. And this year, they're on track to drop even more, with only 10,000 companies incorporated through the end of June. And that's down 3,579 from the same period in 2019. We also found that the total number of active companies also hit at least a 13-year low last year, falling to 387,344 after peaking at 481,000 102 in 2011. Experts say years of tightening international regulations and know your customer requirements have been making it harder to incorporate now than it was when the industry started decades ago. This is important not only because the single biggest chunk of revenue the government takes in comes from the fees it charges for these incorporations, but also because it has an impact on the economy as a whole, which, as we all know, is already on shaky ground due to the pandemic. Experts I talked to said that new incorporations don't tell the whole story and that renewals are also important. But it's likely that the era of relying solely on incorporations in the BBI, as we did in the 80s and 90s, is coming to an end. It doesn't mean the industry is doomed, though. It just means it needs to adapt. As we enter the era of economic substance, government will have a role to play in this by adapting their legislation to allow the industry to diversify as well as to streamline some of their bureaucratic processes like trade licenses and work permits for financial services firms who physically want to come here to do business. We've long known that the industry provides a lot of value and benefit to the economy beyond just cash, and the onus will be on both the public and private sectors to figure out how to embrace this going forward. Thanks for having me, and I look forward to participating in future podcasts. Thanks for updating us on what's happening in the financial services industry, Claire. Next up on our show, we have our editor, Freeman Rogers, who is going to tell us why the BVI Beacon made an unprecedented move last year. Thank you, Zareen. An editorial, of course, expresses a newspaper's opinion. 
In The Beacon, our editorial usually appears each week on page two, but on February 20th, 2020, for the first time in Beacon history, we published our editorial across the entire front page. And we did this because we thought that it covered a very important topic. The government had passed, and the governor had assented to, a law that we believe to be a very serious threat to free speech. The law was an amendment to the Computer Misuse and Cybercrime Act of 2014. In general, it's a well-meaning amendment, and we support most of its provisions. For example, it prohibits identity theft, cyberstalking, and publishing images of someone's private area without their consent. But there are two sections in the law that we believe seriously threaten free speech in the Virgin Islands. The first prohibits using a computer to send a message that is, quote, grossly offensive or has menacing character, or that is sent, quote, for the purpose of causing annoyance or inconvenience. Anyone found guilty could pay a $500,000 fine and spend 14 years in prison. We're not arguing that people should go out of their way to send offensive or annoying messages. But the problem is this. What is an offensive or annoying message? The law doesn't say. And what is offensive or annoying to one person may not seem that way to another. Also, in the course of free speech, which is of course protected by the territory's constitution, people do and say offensive and annoying things. And they should be allowed to, because that's one way ideas are aired and progress is made in any democracy. So we argued in our editorial that anyone who uses Facebook or Twitter or WhatsApp or sends a text message should be very concerned about this law, because they could be liable for prosecution. But it is also a very specific threat to the media, because powerful politicians can use laws like this to threaten journalists and scare them from writing about important topics of public interest. The second section of the law that we find problematical criminalizes electronic defamation, which is penalized with a fine up to $100,000 and three years in prison. This provision is out of keeping with international standards at a time when countries around the world are decriminalizing defamation. And we're not the only ones who have made these arguments against these two sections of the law. International free speech advocates condemned the act well before it was passed in the House of Assembly, as did the local media. Unfortunately, these pleas went unheeded, and the law is still in effect now. At the Beacon, we will continue to advocate against it, and we hope that it eventually will be amended to protect free speech. Thanks for shedding light on some controversial legislation that was passed last year. So last but not least, I'm your host and the web editor at The Beacon. My name is Zareen. The biggest story that I worked on last year is the pandemic. I remember covering it since March when the lockdown orders began and the ports closed along with all the schools. Pretty quickly, our reporting became centered around the pandemic, whether that was writing about the economic stimulus, interviewing health experts about their suggestions, or covering backyard gardening competitions. I felt it was necessary to demonstrate a complicated timeline of events, and so I created graphics that showed what happened in the Virgin Islands three months into COVID and again after six months. The timelines also showed what was happening globally, and it included dates when new confirmed cases were announced. They seemed to get a lot of attention, and people were really happy to see the data visualizations. 
Of course, we continue to cover COVID each week, and our stories are both in print and online, so be sure to check them out. And that wraps up our first episode. Be sure to keep up with all the news in the Virgin Islands by visiting our website, bvibeacon.com, and following us on Instagram and Facebook. This is your host, Zareen, and thanks for listening to The Wave.